high school, my family took a random day trip to Solving, California. Solving is like this little Dutch town, just a couple, um, not, not too far from San, uh, Santa Barbara. And my grandma was living with us at the time. She was about 87, 80 something. And on the drive back, my, my grandma told me like directly, um, when there's other people in the car, but she told me directly, I don't know why, that she felt like she was gonna die soon. And, you know, me being like, uh, I don't know, I just, I, I don't know how to process that. So I was like, no, grandma, you're gonna live forever. You know, like, you're gonna be there when I graduate high school. You're gonna be there when I graduate college. You'll be there when I get married. You'll see, like, you'll see your great grandkids. It's gonna be wonderful. You're gonna, you're gonna be around. And, like, and since then, until she passed away a week before Christmas, like, she, she mentioned that from time to time. And every time, with good intention, I always kind of dismissed it. And, and, um, and I kind of regret it, you know, because I, I feel like there's, this, there's such, such a unique perspective there, right? There's a unique wisdom and insight there. That I wish I could just sat with her and just like, you know, like, what's that like? What does that feel? Like, what, what, are, what are the kind of things that you're processing? Because um, my grandma was, a, like, she was not educated, but she was a deep person. And I feel like there's like this unique opportunity to, to lean in in that space and just be present with her. And I share that with you because the teachings that we've been having the last few weeks, teachings from uh, John chapter 14 to 15 today, and then really until like John chapter 17 where Jesus um, concludes with a prayer for his disciples, this is kind of Jesus' last chunk of teaching. In John chapter 13, like there's a, there's a bit of change in the narrative of the Gospel of John. He, he washes the feet of his disciples, and after he does that, he tells Judas, hey, do what you need to do. And, and then after Jesus, Judas is gone, he says, hey, I'm not going to be here any longer. Like, there's only a little bit of time left. And then he starts like, unleashing a barrage of teachings, and that teaching is found in this chunk that we're, we're discussing. And that's where we see just really essential teachings of the Christian faith, like I am the way, the truth, and the life, which Vanessa talked about a couple weeks ago. Last week, Nan, Nan talked on, uh, taught on the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is the advocate, the spirit of truth. Jesus, Jesus says that he leaves the Holy Spirit with us, and that spirit in itself is the peace, right? The peace that Jesus lived with that, leaves with us, the peace that he gives, and peace that is unlike any other peace that this world can give. And chapter 15, he starts talking about what it means to remain in him, remain in his love, or some translations say abide in him, abide in his love. And so from chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, we get this amazing chunk of teaching that talks about, there's a couple more stuff that we'll talk about, or a few more stuff, or actually a lot more stuff that we'll get to, but we're going to pack this past, uh, uh, pack this chunk of text. And... Um, Hopefully you will be able to lean in and just glean some of the unique wisdom that is here, but also get a tidbit on, just or get some insights, just essential insights on what it means to make peace or how um, peacemaking. So with that, let's go into God's word. Um, we're gonna go, we're gonna tackle this from chunks, all right? So a few verses here, there, and then um, we'll just read it, discuss it. All right, let's let's go through the first three verses. Chapter 15, verse one. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while 
uh, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You already are, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now we get this. There's several. There's seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, and we get one of them here. I am the true vine, and my Father is a gardener. Now, if you like, there's a little bit of throwback here. If you, if some of you may recall. In the book of Isaiah, we went, which we went through earlier this year, in chapter 5, Isaiah, he becomes like this wingman for God and starts singing about how God is the gardener and the nation of Israel is the vineyard. And Jesus piggybacks on this idea that God is the gardener. But instead of this time, the nation of Israel being the vineyard, he says that Jesus is the vine. So a big part of John's gospel, what, he, what he's doing throughout the whole narrative is Jesus is establishing a new community that is not rooted in a geopolitical identity, but instead an identity that is rooted in the person of Jesus. The gospel of John is a hard theological reset for the people of God at this time. And this language of resetting this kind of community it, it, it's, and this posture, it evolves all throughout the entire gospel of John. And much of it, it's, 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 it's a kingdom language as much of a kinship language. It's a community language. Like in the opening lines of John chapter 1, verse 12, 13, it talks about being the child of God. In John chapter 3, in this dialogue that Jesus has with Nicodemus, he talks about being reborn into the kingdom of God. In 12, 36, and different points on, it talks about being the children of light. And Jesus is establishing a whole new kingdom, whole new kinship, and in it, he's reestablishing a set of values, ethos, and practice for this new community, this new family. This is kind of Jesus' version of, um, you know, when in Joshua in the Old Testament, he says, like, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. This is like Jesus' version of, as for me and my community, this is what we're going to be. This is the posture we're going to take. These are the values we're going to have. And this is what we are going to look like. And so from that, we start getting into the idea of what it means to remain in him. Verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my apostles. Or disciples, sorry. This is a little bit of a throwback to what he talked about a couple of chapters ago in chapter 13 where it says that you will know... Uh, Everyone will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. So here we're, we really start getting into what it means to remain in Christ or abide in Christ. The teaching really picks up. So having established this new kingdom and this new kingship, Jesus unpacks what it means to grow in this new community, in this new family. And the word here, the key word is really remain or abide, or in the Greek is meno. And that Greek word, it, it's, it's translated, or it can also be translated into the word as stay 
or dwell, but the root word comes from the idea of making home. To abide is to make home. To remain is to make home. So the invitation that Jesus is making here is to settle down and set roots in Jesus. Setting roots, you know, which fit really well with this, you know, uh, vine analogy that's happening, right? So set, settle down and set roots. So that's the first observation. A couple more observations I want to make from this idea of remaining in him. Second one. Remaining in him and Jesus remaining in us go hand in hand. Remain in me as I remain in you. Jesus is inviting us into something that he has already done in us, to settle down and to set roots in humanity. We're talking about Emmanuel, God with us. We're talking about how Jesus was present in the flesh, giving up his presence in the heavenly throne and giving, all, giving up all that power and all that authority, all that privilege, just to be present with the mess of humanity. To give away all that glory, all that authority, to be in the midst of this. And that is how Jesus remained in us. And in the same way, Jesus is asking us to do the same. For some, not all of you, but for some, that means getting off our high horses, you know? Just sit down, be humble, you know what I mean? It means stepping down from our know-it-all attitude. Stop from, to stop from eating the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and to bear fruit of the Spirit by abiding in the true vine of Jesus. Remaining in Him go hand in hand with, remain, with Jesus remaining in us. He is, he is inviting us into something that He has already done in Himself. Third observation. This is why a couple times we, we get... Jesus reminding us to remind us to, rem to remind us to remain in his words. We've got to root ourselves in Jesus' words, his teaching, settle down and set roots in the words of Jesus. And when we say settle down and remember in his words, we're not talking about just remember it. Just don't make it a Bible verse, but put it into action, right? And Jesus kind of unpacked this into more verses, but a practical point here is that we really needed to, we needed to be a people that is rooted in God's word. Just that's it. You know, like we have, as we've seen in previous verses, you know, like or in another another area of Gospel of John, if we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. And there's no other clear way to see Jesus than to see Jesus in Scripture. We gotta get we gotta get rooted into his word. And I, and I admit, like, this little confession time, I admit, like, I have this, like, almost unhealthy, <laughs> almost unhealthy temptation to be, like, woke. You know, like, it's, it's a legit temptation. And, and the thing about trying to do that, not only am I coming across inauthentic, but it, leave, it leaves me off-center from Christ. I mean, there's a way to be both, for sure. But if there's a temptation of me to, like, to, to push myself toward that side, I lose what it means to be centered, to be rooted in Christ.
Because when I'm trying to be something that I'm not naturally am, I lose my ability, ability to be present. That's my attempt to be present. But to truly be present is to be present with Jesus. Because that's how Jesus modeled. Like he, Jesus was present in the Spirit, and that's how, he, that's how he was able to be present. In the same way, for us to be present, we must be present with Jesus. And here's a little bit of grace from Jesus, Jesus' end to us when it comes to expositing and interpreting this text for us. He lets us know that whenever we read into Scripture, whenever we look into Scripture, we should be looking for spaces where it shows how God loved us. We should be looking for the ways in which God invaded us and was present with us and how he loved humanity. And that's where you get verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I've told you this. Sorry, like my throat is dry. Let me get up some water. <laughs> mm. I have told you this so my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. Jesus continues to lay down some practical teaching in his last discourse. And here's what we see, um, here's what we see in this text, in this part. To, do a, to abide in Jesus, to remain in Jesus in itself is to remain in him. In order to remain in Jesus, we've got to remain in his love. And so you, know, you want to know how to set roots in Jesus? Do you want to know how to dwell on Jesus' love? Is dwell on how Jesus loved people. Think, ponder, saturate, just meditate, regurgitate and remeditate uh, on how Jesus loved people, how he loved his disciples. And the, the disciples, as they're hearing these words of Jesus, they're thinking about a recent example of how they have been loved by Jesus. Just a moment ago, when Jesus washed their feet, Jesus humbled himself, took on the posture of a servant, and as John uh, 13 one says, he loved them to the end. Jesus became a living parable of the gospel of how to love one another. The master took on the posture of a servant. And we're talking about a very hierarchical society and culture here, and he modeled that type of humble, sacrificial love to each of the twelve. Each of the twelve, even Judas. Now that's some of that reckless love that we sang about. Because like, in, our, in our logic, that is reckless. For Jesus, that was love. And this is where we get one of the, one of the peacemaking principles here. Like, because, like, didn't Jesus know? Didn't Jesus know? Like, didn't Jesus know that Judas was up to no good? He was going to make trouble in his neighborhood, right? Like, he was going to betray him before he began to wash his Like, he knew, he knew that he was going to betray him before he began washing his feet. But still, he washed his feet anyway. Jesus knew that he was going to engage, that Judas was going to engage in the sin of condemning an innocent man to death. A sin that Judas would feel so guilty about that he would literally hang himself. That he felt so guilty about that when he was, when he was given the monetary exchange for the service that he provided, he threw it right back at him. He just knew, Jesus knew that Judas would have that kind of guilt. 
that kind of weight of sin on him, and he still loved Judas anyway. Jesus still loved Judas till the end. That is how Jesus demonstrated his love for his disciples. And they're thinking about this when they're reading this text, or they're thinking about this where they're hearing this teaching from Jesus. And now for us as disciples here in you know, 2020, we also have an example of how Jesus loved us, how we have been loved by Jesus, and that, and that is a cross. The same peacemaking principle of Judas that Jesus extends, like he extends to us daily. Romans 5.8, right? It says this, like Christ demonstrated his love in this, that while we are still sinners, Jesus died for us. Jesus made peace with us by means of, being a, by means of humble and sacrificial love. And he invites us to do the same in our own way with one another. We are reconciled to be given the ministry of reconciliation. We are given identity so that we can have purpose. We are given community so you could have this ethos of sacrificial love. And 13 says, verse 13 says, says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Man. It's hard to see here, but actually, um, Jesus is actually alluding to something he did earlier also. In John's Gospel, when, when, it came to, when it came to the death of Lazarus, because um, like it's kind of hard to see when we kind of read it from our lens, but for Jesus to go to where Lazarus died, that was in a sense of a death sentence, because there was already a lot of like heat for what Jesus was doing and teaching, and Lazarus was living around Jerusalem, and the, Jerusalem was the hub of the religious authority and power. So for Jesus to leave where he was and go toward Lazarus was a death sentence. So Jesus, to go to Lazarus and to be there, to be in the midst of their grief and to raise Lazarus up, that was his way of laying down his own life for his friend. So the disciples are seeing this and hearing this and processing what they have seen from Jesus. Jesus cares about who we are as friends. Jesus cares about friendship, as you see in the next verses. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have, or I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Last verse. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. There is, there is no mystery to this teaching. There is kind of, there's like kind of no way of beating around the bush. When it comes to remaining in Jesus, there's no mystery when it comes to remaining in him. Jesus lays it out pretty straightforward. Love others. And as we have been loved by Jesus. Love others as we have been loved by Jesus. Jesus is inviting us into something that he has already done in us. So it is absolutely essential to our faith that we dwell on the sacrificial love of Jesus. We must constantly be aware of it. We must open ourselves up to the feeling and the experience of that love. We must make home in it. But we must also receive the blessing of that love through the context of community so that it has a place to sprout up. 
so that Jesus' command to love each other will be a natural result of loving Jesus. Now, you kind of get real with this whole stuff. Like, like in a day and age where there's like so much tension and so much division and strife, so much expecting the worst of each other, so much generalizing each other based on any other criteria than the fact that these are people created in the image of God. This posture of abiding, this posture of remaining in his love is needed more than ever. People of God, friends of God, we must remain in the love of Jesus. Sons and daughters of God, we, we need to unroot ourselves from any other mindset, any other standard outside of what it means to love one another as we have been loved by Jesus. Just as Jesus was a living parable, we must embody that to one another. We must, we must ourselves become a living parable, especially if, if we are to engage in the act of peacemaking by loving one another sacrificially just as Jesus loved us. Like, I remember for a time, like, um, it was really tense to uh, be a Clipper fan. Like, <laughs> um, for, for a long time. Like, and it still now is. Like, there's like, um, like, what, like, what kind of testament would it be if Laker fans and Clipper fans were to wash each other's feet? <laughs> What kind of testament would it be to the gospel if a person wearing a Biden Harris shirt would wash the feet of a person who wore a MAGA shirt or MAGA hat and vice versa? What a testament would it be for the people of God, for the community of God, for an anti-vaxxer and an ICU worker, medical professional, to wash each other's feet. When we think about Psalm 23, there's this amazing verse where it says that you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. Now, I used to imagine that as like, okay, God is setting up this nice table for one, or for two, because God is there, table for two, me and God. And all around me are my enemies. And it's just me and God just enjoying this really intimate space. Just him and me. We're chatting, you know, this nice candlelight dinner, steak, reverse seared, whatever that means. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but it sounds nice. And this is moment. And just me and God and my enemies around me. But when it says, when Psalm 23, when, he, when, when it says that you prepare a table before my enemies, it means is a big table, and my enemies are present in, the, in that table. And, and it's God. It's God that is preparing that table in the presence of my enemies. You don't do that. God does that. God prepares his table. He's already done it. And that table 
is the gospel. And all we're being asked to do is to sit at that table. Our peacemaking must be settled and rooted in the work that God already did in us first. And all we need to do is sit at that table. And just do exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus calls us his friends because he is leading us in on this plan. Before it was unknown. He no longer calls us slaves. Now he calls us friends because he's letting us in on this plan. We are in on the master's plan. This is Jesus' last teaching before his death. That this has been God's plan all along. That we are to love one another as Jesus demonstrated for us. Simple teaching, hard application. And I find that a lot of, of Jesus' teachings is like that. But much like the posture that I wish I had when uh, my grandma, Hanmani, which, you know, when you grandma in Korean, my Hanmani was saying, instead of dismissing it, what if we were to lean into this just a little bit more and just be present and sit with it? I think that would be a good start. Because we, we see so many other examples in our world, in our context, in, in the society that we live in, where we're just so quick to divide and call each other out. And there, there definitely there are things that we need to call each other out, but the people of God, the children of God, must embody this, of what it means to sit at the table in the presence of our enemies. And I pray that for you and us in our church community. Jesus, have mercy on us. Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. Um, this seems uh, so impossible to do. Um, um, but it also seems so impossible that someone like me would be forgiven and that someone like me could be loved and welcomed in. And if, if I am living that miracle, that I have been eternally, cosmically, presently loved and forgiven. Help me to extend that love and forgiveness toward others. Help us to extend that love and forgiveness toward others. The Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. Make us more and more like you, Jesus. It cuts to the heart. So thank you, brother. Um, Church, as we uh, kind of transition into a time before, right before communion, um, we as a church, this November, we're going to be celebrating seven years. Um, we started in 2014, and what's amazing, uh, you know, we're, we're in a great spot. We've made it through the pandemic. For the most part, I think the pandemic's over, hopefully. Um, but God has been so good, right? And, and God's been moving in our church. God's been transforming us. We have been encountering Jesus, and as a church, we are growing. There's maturing that's happening, right? Um, and so as a leadership body, we've been kind of looking at um, where we are as a church now, who we've become, as well as who we are continuing to become, and we've kind of identified a set of values, right? So as we started the church, there was a set of values that we all identified that we wanted to say, hey, 
this is what we want in church. This is a set of values that we would be proud to be called uh, a church, right? And so those values kind of set the trajectory of, of who we were and who we are now. Um, but when we started that in 2014, uh, we found that those values and where we are now, there's a difference, right? And so where we're at now, there's um, a set of values where uh, this one specifically, I think, um, kind of spoke to me for today. Um, and it's the ministry of presence and accompaniment. And so let me read it to us as we kind of uh, set our minds and our hearts on this. So the value reads as this, following the model of Christ in the incarnation, we believe that the most fundamental ministry that our community has to offer is the ministry of presence. We take seriously our shared calling to be not only physically present, but also relationally and emotionally present to each other. We share life together by sharing in each other's joys as well as sorrows. We have fun together and we lament together. We don't shy away from our trauma, whether it's historical and or ongoing. And this presence we are modeling isn't a one-time event. It's a commitment to each other over time. And it has to be a long-term commitment because Christian formation and discipleship is slow cooked. It's commitment in the mundane as well as the extraordinary. And where kind of my heart landed um, and was, and as Pastor Elliot was sharing, was um, specifically that last piece. It's a commitment to the mundane as well as the extraordinary. A lot of the teachings that we've been going through, they're hard and they're hard to apply. And it's this working out, this grinding out in a way. And where I found myself is, is kind of in that time between, right? Whether it's time between Sundays, time between uh, community gatherings, time between family events or whatever it is, that sometimes that time in between just feels hard. It's a grind. Maybe it's because I got three little kids, um, but it's a challenge. And what I found most amazing is when, um, one, when we talk about remaining in God's love, that that's kind of that peace, where it's remaining in Christ's love in the spaces where no one's watching, where no one's seeing, where it's not known other than you and God. And that's where we need each other too. And as we look at kind of this presence and this company, uh, company and meant with each other, it is in both kind of those moments where we're gathered and we're present, as well as in those moments where we're by ourselves and we're just working through the stuff that we have, right? And the way that's, that's worked out is these relationships, these different uh, opportunities for relationships that happen. And these conversations of asking, hey, how are you doing? And not just like this past, like passive, hey, how are you doing, man? Good, okay, cool, cool. But it's like, hey, how are you doing? And sitting in that awkward silence of waiting for that person to give you kind of a, a heartfelt response of, hey, well, this is how I'm doing. This is where I'm at. And to be able to sit with that and then engage with that. I found that that is both the struggle as well as the beauty of, of how we become transformed. The extraordinary is amazing, but the mundane, I think that's where the transformation happens. And as we think about communion, as we think about what we do week in and week out, the only way we know that it's different from Sunday to Sunday is when we reflect and see what happens in the in-between. And as you come up and as you recognize that hey, what Christ has already done, you can both receive it and you can both live it out. I think that's what's going to change us in the week by week, uh, week by week in between all the stuff that we're doing, right? And so for us, um, as we do take, take communion, I know, you know, it's, we do this every single week. 
But I, what I want us to be able to take away from today at least is just the reality that um, when we come before Christ and we receive what he has for us, it is both extraordinary and mundane. This wafer tastes the exact same as it did last Sunday. And the juice tastes exactly the same as it did last Sunday. And yet, we are worthy to receive it. Wherever you're at, wherever I'm at, whatever week we've had, whatever week we hope to have, Christ has made it worthy. And we can say yes to it over and over and over and over again. And that's the beauty of what communion can be about, that we remember and we recognize all that God has done. And so today...